Welcome to Cowboy Ed, where we ride through the prairies and talk all things education. Today, it's the first day of winter and we are out and about and we have an amazing guest riding with Maya and I. We've got Dr. Caitlin Tucker riding with us. Dr. Tucker, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's actually Caitlin. I'm the only one in a world full of Caitlins, <laughs> but I'm great. Well, I'm excited that you're so unique. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, and I apologize right out of the gate then the, the horse <laughs> got away from me, but uh, the, the, the uniqueness of your message is why we wanted to talk to you. You are very well spoken in blended learning as well as UDL, and we'll get to that one in a second, but that blended learning. So we're just going to dive right in with the, with, the, with the questions for you. Blended learning has changed. When it was first coined probably 10 years ago, uh, education moves fast and slow all at the same time, to today after in the midst of a pandemic and a continuing pandemic, blended learning. What, what does blended learning mean to you today in, in 2021? Well, I define blended learning and have been defining blended learning for the last 10 years as active engaged learning online combined with active engaged learning offline with the goal of shifting control over the educational experience from teacher to learner and specifically kind of the four factors, the four aspects of the learning that we're trying to think about giving students more control in relation to our time, place, pace, and path. So that definition for me is one that has been flexible enough to work over the last decade. And I think what is really important to me in that definition is the positioning of learner as active agent, regardless of the learning landscape they're navigating at any point. And so it's that, that focus on positioning the learner as active agent that I'm really excited about. And I know there is a lot of people or there are a lot of people who didn't really hear a lot about blended learning until the pandemic. And so for some, they were feeling like it was this knee jerk reaction to a moment. But for me, as somebody who's been in this space for over a decade, I just see it as better ways of designing and facilitating learning experiences that are likely to meet really diverse groups of learners needs. I hear all that. And my, the first thing that comes to my mind is that idea of active learning. And at the, at the top end of this, puzzle, when we think about high school, maybe middle school, kids who have been conditioned for what they, what learning looks like, how do you get them active when they're like, what do I need to do? What do I need to get? How do, how do we get to that? Yeah, well, here's, here's the truth and the reality we all need to just warm up to, which is it is a whole lot easier to be a student in a teacher-centered classroom than it is to be a student in a student-centered classroom. What we're asking them to do when they are the agent in the learning experience is they're doing the lion's share of the work, the cognitive lift, the social engagement, they're thinking, they're writing, they're reflecting, they're collaborating, they're communicating. It is their job to move the learning forward. And I think 
sometimes we, we don't recognize that we can't make students learn. We can only provide opportunities for them to learn. They have to lean into those opportunities. But you're absolutely right. So many students, particularly those who've been in school for a very long time, they're kind of comfortable in that role as, you know, passive observer and consumer of information. And so shifting them out of that, that kind of comfortable, passive role in kind of observing a learning experience, that takes some time. It, it really takes, you know, teachers helping students to develop skills that will allow them to drive their own learning, whether that's metacognitive skill building, it's kind of helping them to understand how do you engage with other members of this class in a productive and positive way. So there's a lot of skill building around helping learners to take a much more active role in the learning experience. But I think what's really exciting is part of what's so exhausting about education is teachers are still doing the lion's share of the work in the classroom. And the more we can help learners to kind of share that responsibility of learning and really start to view students as partners, it alleviates a lot of that pressure that's on the teacher right now to kind of do it all. Well, Dr. Tucker, this speaks to my heart. I, <laughs> I love my students being engaged and I try to push things to them and you know, I've had fiascos of trying to help them even just something simple, like build a rubric with me, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, some things are just really hard for them until they get the hang of it. And, you know, you talked about time, place, pace, path. I don't know if I said those in your order, but I'm wondering, that seems like a change in mindset about what learning looks like. And <laughs> so what dispositions or skills are kind of critical to to front load right for teachers or for students or for both of them to to initiate this blended learning that you're describing it's so funny that you mentioned mindset because when i work with groups or schools or leaders i often talk about mindset skill set tool set and I in that exact order, because I get brought in to work with districts and staff members all the time around what I kind of consider the skill set, which is like, how do you design and facilitate learning using these different blended learning models? Because blended learning is just like an umbrella phrase. And within that umbrella are like station rotation, whole group rotation, playlist model, classroom model, all of these different strategies where we can weave together this active engaged learning online and offline. But if we don't start addressing the mindset piece, I can talk about skill set all day and nothing's going to change in classrooms, right? If, if teachers are still perceiving their value in a classroom as my expertise is my value and I need to stand here and I need to explain things, I need to unpack concepts, I need to model skills, that's my value in this space, not a lot is going to change. And I think when we start talking about blended learning from a teacher perspective, they need to start really re-examining what is my value, right? Because if my if I think my value is ex my expertise in a particular subject area, well, Google knows more than I know about just about everything, right? Kids have limitless access to information. It doesn't mean they're very good at finding it. It doesn't mean they're very good at analyzing it, but they have access to it. So then technology becomes scary. But if I recognize as a teacher 
my value is actually in those places, those things that technology cannot do. It's in that human side of teaching. It's in the ability to connect with learners and be organically responsive to what they need individually or small groups of learners needs, um, and then meet those needs. It is that ability to facilitate learning, which I think is our true value in this moment. And I want teachers to get to this place where they spend time supporting, facilitating, sitting alongside learners to help them make progress. I also would love to see teachers embracing the growth mindset concept in the same way we're trying to get students to embrace it because I work with so many teachers who are like, oh, I'm not good at technology. Oh, I haven't mastered station rotation. And I'm like, you might not feel confident with technology yet. You might not feel like you've mastered designing for this model yet. It doesn't mean we can't get there with practice and hard work, like just the same way we want students to approach their own learning. So from that perspective, I think teachers need to reevaluate their, their value in a classroom. I think they need to focus on their own kind of growth mindset and they need to accept that students really, we, we need to enter this relationship seeing our students as capable partners. And if our partners are lacking particular skills, then it's our job in the same way we teach content area skills and concepts to help develop those skills that they need to share that responsibility of learning. So often for me, where I think that starts is that metacognitive work and helping students to think about their learning and think about themselves as learners, right? Set goals for themselves, really kind of think about and assess what is my work telling me about my skill sets, my progress, the areas where I need to spend more time and energy or where I need additional support, um, getting them reflecting on their learning. So really having a much more intentional approach to this work that they're doing in a classroom. And that doesn't happen overnight, right? It's, it's definitely a process. I agree. It takes a lot of time to change the way you do anything and teaching because you're working with students is, I think, extra slow, right? At trying to implement things. You've talked a lot about engagement and that active participation of the students to lead. Um, I'd like to talk a little more about engagement. And I know that you, um, in your work, you have it broken down into some different areas and I think emotional engagement is really interesting to me personally, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about engagement and what that is and how it works um, in your blended learning vision. Yeah, so actually my doctoral research was on teacher engagement and blended learning environments. And the, you know, engagement is a multi-dimensional motivational construct, right? So when I started designing my own research study, I landed on a, kind of a definition of engagement, which broke it down into kind of like four spheres. And it was specific to the teaching profession. So there was cognitive engagement, social engagement with students, social engagement with colleagues, and emotional engagement. And that social engagement with students and social engagement with colleagues was really interesting because it's a bit of a departure from the prior kind of work done on just general work engagement. And I think acknowledges just the real power of relationships in this profession. 
And part of the reason I focused on teacher engagement is because teacher engagement and student student engagement are reciprocal. So when student engagement dips, it negatively impacts teacher engagement. And when it soars, it has a really positive impact on teacher engagement. And so for me, I was really curious how do we understand what is engaging for teachers in this type of an environment? And if we can identify the factors that positively impact cognitive, emotional, and social engagement, then we can start to put our time and energy into these places that are going to feed us and energize us and make us want to stay in this profession. Because I'll be super frank, I think my biggest concern after the last two years is that we're just going to lose incredible people from this profession because they are so incredibly exhausted and drained and feeling, quite frankly, unappreciated. So as all of that conversation was happening, I was thinking about all of the pieces that, that sometimes I talk to teachers about. You know, when we use technology, teachers are thinking, oh, I can do this better. I can, I can do this better than technology. And you made a great point. Google knows more more than we do. So don't try to beat a computer or technology or any of those pieces at what it's good at. We have to be good at what we are. And that's that's relationships and, and understanding all of those pieces. And I, and I think that's such a key, key point that you made, that, that we have to be partners in that. So when I think about that, my deals with pre-service teachers, this podcast gets listened to by a whole mix. Are we preparing pre-service teachers in what this new partnering of learning really looks like? And then to follow that up, how do we get that back to that mindset? But some of our, you know, within five or six years of retirement are like, I'm not changing. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and just leave me alone. Do I think we're preparing teachers? No. <laughs> I, I teach in a uh, master's in the arts of teaching program, and I will tell you that the syllabus that I was given for the courses that I currently teach, I kind of looked over them and there were pieces I kept and there was just a whole bunch I changed because I think the way we are teaching people who are going into this profession, it also has to change and I worry it's not changing fast enough. I also worry that there's sometimes this misconception by folks teaching in the these graduate programs, these teacher prep programs, that somehow blended learning would be like this separate offering, this, this technology blended learning offering. And for me, it's more about weaving this mindset, this skill set throughout an entire teacher education program. And I think really helping teachers to understand what you just said, right? That there's, there are things that machines and technology are great at. And there are things they're not good at. And what we need to do is to figure out what makes our work, our human work, like special and lean into those moments and leverage technology, quite frankly, to free teachers from the front of the room so they have the time and space to sit with learners, individuals, small groups, facilitate discussions, give feedback on work in progress, conduct side-by-side -side assessments. So one, they're not taking all of that work home. The paper trail, the workflows in education, the traditional workflows, they don't make any sense to me. <laughs> they don't help build relationships with learners. They require just 
epic amounts of teacher time outside of the classroom, which quite frankly, they need to unplug and engage in self-care. And for a lot of learners, these workflows create a lot of opacity in education where it's really hard for them to even understand are they making progress? What is this progress they're making? How are they doing? How do these grades reflect actual skills and ability? So for me, I think really helping teachers who are entering the profession kind of look at those or face their own mindset, kind of um, their assumptions about what teaching and learning look like, and then go about kind of um, not just examining them, but then exploring different ways of doing this work that allow them to really create strong relationships with learners. Um, and even for those teachers who've been in the profession for a really long time, my message is, you know, my own work, my own study revealed that teachers who taught courses in a traditional format and teachers who, the same teachers who also had classes in a blended learning format, almost and unanimously said they felt closer to their students in the blended learning format, that they had stronger relationships with those students because they had more time and opportunity to work with individuals to support small groups. And for them, that was incredibly engaging on an emotional level um, and, so, and, and on a social level. So how do we create more of those opportunities? Because I think even for teachers late in their careers, that is going to make this so much more rewarding because most teachers got into this work because they love students. They want to spark that joy of learning. And I think blended learning makes that easier to accomplish. What a dense answer. There's so many things there that I want to talk about. Um, I totally agree with you about teacher preparation. And, you know, for, I don't know, for years, decades, probably, I've been responsible for that technology class. And it's marginalized, right? It's mm -hmm. a thing they have to get through. It's not integrated with the rest of it. But making that integration of all of these things you're talking about in a full teacher preparation program is a huge overhaul and you oh, yeah. run into those barriers of the professors right being the ones mm -hmm. who have been established in their ways and feeling that desire for value of their you know intelligence and and wisdom that they can impart on teachers and all of those things so that it is so complicated but you got to an amazing thing about the relationships and I think that that's exactly why people you know most of the undergraduate students that I talk to that's their reason for going into mm -hmm. teaching right they want those experiences and they enjoy learning and kids and the excitement of it all and so that's really you know the the value there and I think for any teacher as you pointed out and so my question for you is, if there is a pre-service or an in-service teacher, you know, new, seasoned, whatever, where do they start? So if they're mm. seeing the value <laughs> in this, I know that's, it's like the magic question, right? But mm -hmm. it's always, you know, oh, this is a great idea. But then when you try to actualize it, it just is so complicated. So what's your advice on that first step? What should they do first? How do they start, especially if they're the teacher, you know, in the classroom and it's not like a district initiative or anything like that? So this is how I started. And so I will share what I feel like works because there's no guarantee that that 
pre-service teacher or that teacher who this is their first year in education that they're going to have any support, right? There, there may be zero training available on this. There might not be a single coach available to focus on this work. So if they're excited about this idea of weaving together active engaged learning online with active engaged learning offline, and let me say that combination can happen entirely in a physical classroom. It can happen, as I found during the pandemic, entirely online with asynchronous offline learning activities built into that experience. And it can happen in this blend of the two. And so one of the points that I make a lot, and this is why I wrote my last book with Dr. Katie Novak about UDL and blended learning, is it's like, we need a skill set that is nimble enough at this point, given all the uncertainty in the world, that we can use in a physical classroom or we can use entirely online or this combination that we cannot continue moving forward with the assumption that we need one specific skill set for a physical space and one specific skill set that's very different for a virtual space. I think blended learning models create this nimble, flexible skill set that can work anywhere. And so as a, a new teacher, a pre-service teacher, somebody who just wants to get started, my biggest piece of advice, get excited. I know we in education, myself included, we're a highly excitable group of people, but start small. <laughs> choose one thing, one place you want to begin. And so maybe if I'm an elementary teacher, I think I'm going to start with uh, a choice board. And that choice board might have some online and some offline options. And just play around with it and see what works, what a kid's like, where do you hit the bumps, where do you need to iterate and improve. And if I'm a secondary teacher and I'm like, gosh, I am so tired of explaining what a thesis statement is for the 18th time, make a video because chances are you're not differentiating that initial foundational explanation of like what a thesis statement is. So record a five minute video and then let students self pace through it and free yourself to do something else. So I pick up a single strategy or a single model and just know it's, it's like, especially for experienced teachers, you got to give yourself some grace. You're starting something totally new. You're going to hit bumps. You're going to make mistakes. You might fail. And I actually think that's a great thing. Students need to see teachers taking risks, experimenting, iterating, failing, because we ask kids to do that all the time. And so if they see us modeling what it looks like to be the lead learner in a classroom, making all those same mistakes and growing and experimenting, then it's a lot less scary for them to stumble, for them to fail. They just realize it's part of the process. So new teachers or somebody new to this space, think big, get excited about all the possibilities, but just start small. One strategy, one model, play around with it, make mistakes, improve, and then we can start to build over time on a series of small wins instead of trying to do way too much out the gate, getting frustrated, saying, oh my gosh, that was a hot mess, I'm never doing that again, and abandoning this whole idea of blended learning. That's a beautiful answer. And I, I love that vision of trying it in a, you know, in one unit or a space or you know, just giving it a go and then evolving or growing that, right? And I think that that works for teachers who have been practicing for quite a while, right? Because mm -hmm. they have their set way and they can change one little thing and give it a try and then let that excitement kind of carry it through other things. So mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful advice. So our ride has, has kind of came to an end. This, this conversation, we've got the, the, the horses well-fed and, and saddled up and, and we're going to keep this ride going but we're going to just 
break it into a couple parts. So you can have like one for each saddlebag as you ride through, through, the, through the prairies. So before we do that, we'd just like to give Dr. Tucker a chance to tell us about some exciting resources she has for you. Yeah, so for anybody who is looking to kind of start this journey who might not have a lot of support or any support on their campus, um, know that on my website, CatlinTucker.com, where I blog every week, I share lots of resources and templates. I also have links to online self-paced courses. So if you want to have a getting started with blended learning and online learning experience, there's a course for that. There's also an advancing with blended and online learning course, and I just recently published a new book with Dr. Katie Novak titled UDL and Blended Learning, Thriving in Flexible Learning Landscapes. So for anybody who's really curious about universal design for learning and how to make learning accessible and equitable and inclusive, as well as kind of this idea of blended learning, um, that book is available. And our kind of rationale was when we were writing it that the two things in education we're sure aren't going to change are learner variability and technology. So how do we pull UDL and blended learning together to give teachers a framework, a path forward that will kind of span the life of their career? Well, thank you, Dr. Tucker. That is uh, another set of great resources for all of our listeners to to go out there and, and search for and look and, and hopefully help you along your way. But this ride has came to an end, and so it's time to head them up. Move them on. Move them on. Head them up. Head them up. Move them on. Cowboy head. On the ride.